When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. We did have live boxing this morning on TV3. Good to see some free-to-wear fights. And uh, Joseph Parker was a part of that. He got a uh, win over Jack Massey. Joining us to talk about that and some UFC as well is uh, former combat sport writer and, and super fan, Daniel Richardson. G'day, mate. How are you? Good afternoon, Ricardo. How are you? Yeah, good. Thanks, mate. Good. Uh, Joe, uh, I, I thought it was interesting what Andy uh, Lee said afterwards, that basically Jack Massey didn't come to fight. It was hard to execute what they wanted to do when the guy was just covering up and going backwards the whole time and and hugging Joe a lot. What, what did you make of the fight? Oh, I thought it was pretty underwhelming, wasn't it? Um, mm. It certainly wasn't the performance that Parker would have been looking for fight like this, he probably had to come out and make a little bit of a statement um, with the greatest respect to Jack Massey, who's forged a fairly respectable career so far throughout professional boxing. He doesn't really have any signature wins. He certainly wasn't a big body coming up to be a heavyweight for the first time, having made his way as a cruiserweight. And uh, I think that was pretty underwhelming from Joseph Parker in general. Uh, Comfortably won on the scorecards. I thought a few of the scorecards were quite generous from um, some judges there that might have been swayed a little bit by a, a parochial local cl- crowd, but yeah, Joe Joe would probably look back on that one with a touch of disappointment. Yeah, it was interesting because you know we obviously had the Sky uh, UK Sky commentary team, and basically they commentated Jack Massey the entire fight and talked about how well he was doing and how well he was taking Parker's punches and how well he was staying in the fight. Yet when it came to the end of the fight, uh, the guest commentator was it Carl Frock, I think it was, had given all ten rounds to Joe. Yeah, and I think they had that uh, verdict that uh, the fans could vote on during the fight as well. If you scanned the QR code and people could uh, provide their two cents and they had Joe pitching a shutout. Look, I probably gave two rounds um, on my very unofficial scorecard to Massey. I thought he didn't, um, certainly didn't disgrace himself in there. But, uh, I mean, you know, when you consider where Joe's been and who Joe's fought, that's classes and classes above um, a guy like Jack Massey. And he just really should have got in there and delivered a bit of a statement performance when he's coming off probably the most disappointing loss of his career, albeit in an all-action fight against Joe Joyce. He probably had to come back and make a bit of a statement here and just show, hey, look, I still am a force to be reckoned with. And that certainly wasn't the case today. No, it wasn't. It wasn't. I mean, he'll take the win and move on. Um, I thought he started well. You know, he started with intent. He came out through those two uh, quick left hooks right at the beginning, and Massey went back to the rope straight away and didn't seem to enjoy that. Uh, but Joe didn't, you know, follow up on that. I would, I would have said, you know, there was a, a few straight rights that were uh, looked there for the taking um, to, to sort of hammer home the point, if you like. Uh, but uh, I don't know if he was worried about what Jack Massey could do, but he, I thought he could have done a bit more, particularly early. Yeah, there's potential that he has a little bit um, gun-shy, obviously, being stopped for the first time in his career in his last fight. Maybe uh, there's an element of that. I'd be I'd be surprised if that was too much of a factor, though, given he's been around the block a number of times now, Joe. Um, I think it was David Hay in the comments who noted that he may... Um, 
have assessed that Joe's foot speed certainly isn't as quick as it had been in the past, and I think that that's a fair assessment as well. He certainly isn't as fast as he has been, and that was the thing for a guy of his size. He did have um, good foot speed and really fast hand movement, and we maybe didn't see that as much today. Of course, obviously, Massey being a slightly smaller guy, he was always going to be a little bit quicker as well, but um, there certainly wasn't that explosive power there for Joe, and that's probably been, and if you're going to be really harsh, one of the knocks on him um, throughout his career that he hasn't had, and of course you're talking of some of the absolute elite of the elite, that uh, one-punch knockout power that Joe doesn't really have, and again, that wasn't on display today, um, and there weren't any shots that really wobbled Massey, I mean, there were some great scoring punches in there, but nothing that truly wobbled him, I think there was one decent uppercut, uh, mm. may have been in the sixth, um, that, that, that sort of slightly jarred him, you'd say, but certainly didn't wobble him. And again, when you've got a guy who's coming up from a division down and you've got that sort of size and power advantage, you want to be really making your presence felt there in the ring. And that, again, just wasn't the case. No, it wasn't, um, unfortunately for Joe. And yeah, I mean, I think he has become a different fighter. I mean, he he came into this fight, you know, he bulked up for the Joyce fight and he actually bulked it down for this, if you like, if, if that's a term. I think he was 10 pound lighter for this fight than he was for the Joyce fight. Um, Andy Lee talked about, you know, it's a rebuild. Uh, what do you think it is that Andy Lee is trying to get Joe to do? Yeah, well, that's a good question, isn't it? Because I'm not sure if anybody knows. Um, I mean, this was an odd fight to take. I think that's one thing that's really clear. I mean, uh, while it's probably good to get him in there and rebuild a bit of confidence after the loss that he just had, I mean, this seemed a completely left-field fight to take. Um, while Joe lost to Joe Joyce, there's absolutely no shame in losing to Joe Joyce. Let's make that really clear. I mean, he is one of the... Uh, he's in the top five heavyweights in the world, so there's no, um, there's certainly no shame in that. But um, to then take this fight seemed to certainly a sideways step at the most generous you could call it. So, uh, look, uh, scheduling is always tricky in heavyweight boxing and all that sort of stuff. Um, so, uh, obviously, it was done to b- uh, build his confidence back up. But then, as you say, yeah, with the weight fluctuating a little bit and all that sort of jazz, it does seem a little bit strange. Um, and then I know in the past, Joe's spoken about not wanting to box well into his 30s. And as we look now, Joe's 31. Um, and he turns... Or he's just sorry, just recently turned 31, um, and you do wonder how many more years he wants to give himself doing it. Um, he's obviously made a bunch of money uh, throughout his career. The Joshua fight would have set him up in a great position. So you do wonder if he's um, if he views that maybe he has one more run, a couple more years, and you just wonder what that path looks like because at the moment, to me, it's a little bit unclear. Yeah, I mean, it felt like to me the Jack Massey fight was. Uh, I, I think it was Andy Lee said after the Joyce fight, we just want to get back in there and fight as soon as we can. So maybe they they were just looking for whatever option was out there so they could get him back in the ring, um, and, and maybe you know get a, get another W on on uh, in, in the record and and start to build again in the rankings. Um, so that would suggest to me that they are probably going to use this fight to then maybe get somebody like, especially given they've got the deal with Sky, they, they'll want another British fighter. And I can't help but thinking that Dillian White's probably the right fight for, for Joe now. It's just whether or not White, uh, White wants the fight. Yeah, look, that's probably the level of profile that would be quite interesting for uh, for Joe as well. Um, but you're right whether Dillian White wants that fight. I mean, Dillian White um, is, is a big name. He's been in there with some of the absolute best as well. Uh, Dillian White is in a interesting spot too, where, of course, he's lost to Fury. Um, he's lost to Joshua. It's pretty clear that 
he's out of that really top end picture as well. So yeah, there, there's certainly a case to be made for something like that. Um, and as I say, whether they can put that together or not remains to be seen. But yeah, that is um, certainly a fight that you think would have a bit of appeal. Um, and, and again, too, it would give Joe just a, or you know, be a bit of a reminder for the public that Joe's still here and he's still able to attract those big names. And then, of course, Dylan White's an action fighter, and that's one of the other things where, again, if we're being a bit critical of uh, Joe Parker and his career, there's been some fights that certainly haven't been um, incredibly compelling to watch. So uh, Dylan White pushes the pace, he comes to fight, so there's a lot of potential there at a bit of an all-action type fight. Yeah, and I think Joe owes him one, doesn't he? Because I know Dillian White won the the, the fight that they have had, but it, uh, it certainly felt like that could have gone Joe's way, particularly if you take the the head clash that was ruled as a knockdown out of the fight. Yeah, and of course, I mean, it's so hard to know uh, how much of an impact that had on the fight. Um, it's one of those classic ones where Dillian White's camp would say it made no difference, and then Parker's camp might say it completely changed the course of the fight. Um, of course, you'll remember late in the fight, Joe had Dillian White in trouble. Um, it was a close fight, and again, a really exciting fight, an all-action fight that people look back and just go, man, that was really entertaining to watch. So, yep, there's no denying that that one is an easy one to make. There's certainly a bit of history there, and they can build that one up for sure. And um, as you say, that British, the British boxing scene, as we saw with the... Um, interest in the Smith Eubank Junior Main event and the card today, the British boxing interest is really high. So um, to be on a big card over there would be quite entertaining for Joe as well. Yeah, indeed. All right, we'll have to see where that goes, mate. Of course, uh, it's not the end of the combat sports for today because uh, there's a big UFC card as well, UFC 283. It's in Brazil. And uh, yeah, the, as you would imagine, being in Brazil, uh, the card is full of Brazilian fighters, uh, headlined by Glover Teixeira who at 78 years of age, or however old he is, uh, is going for the light heavyweight title against Jamal Hill. Um, this feels like a, a setup for a, if, he gets a, if he gets a win, he goes out on top and probably retires at home in front of the fans. Well, yeah, as you touched on, uh, Glover, inspiration for all of us, isn't he? Fighting on at 43 years of age and still looks great to him. And let's not remember, well, sorry, let's not forget his most recent fight against uh, Yuri Prozhaka was probably the fight of the year of 2022. I mean, that was just an absolutely outstanding fight. Um, but, of course, with Yuri now being injured, uh, vacating the light heavyweight title, then, of course, Jan Blachowicz and uh, Magomedov fought to the draw recently, leaves the title vacant. Uh, it's just the most bizarre situation, isn't it, that we find ourselves in now where two fresh fighters have now been plucked to fight for this vacant light heavyweight title. And then, as you say, Glover Teixeira, the first card back in Brazil post-pandemic, if he is to win, that might be his uh, swan song. And then they're left with a still vacant light heavyweight title if he was to win today and was to retire. There's a couple of huge of course, in there, but wouldn't that just make for another crazy chapter in the storied history of the UFC light heavyweight title? But uh, look, today's no picnic. Uh, Jamal Hill has been on an absolute tear. His last three wins have come by KO, I'm pretty sure, and in emphatic fashion as well. Uh, he comes in and just wants to absolutely destroy people. So, um, you know, Thiago Santos, Johnny Walker, Jimmy Crute, all finishes, uh, two performance of the night bonuses, a fight of the night bonus for Thiago Santos. So, I mean, that's a real impressive um, CV to be bringing into this fight. So this is going to be an exciting fight. I mean, Glover, for 
the age and stage of his career, it's just amazing the amount of um, battles that he's been in. He's an absolute warrior and as tough as they come. So uh, really looking forward to this main event. Yeah, I mean, it feels like, as you say, you know, you look at all the stats, they favour Jamal Hill. He's, he's younger, he's longer, he's taller, he's lighter. Uh, he's got everything going for him. But Glover has a Brazilian audience in Rio and he has all that 43 years of experience uh, if he can tie Hill up and get him to the deck, uh, I think anything's possible. Yeah, for sure. Look, I mean, uh, Glover's experience with that ground game is obviously far and away better than Hill's. I mean, Hill's a stand-up fighter, of course, never won a fight by submission in his uh, mixed martial arts career. So he's going to likely want to keep it on the feet. But, I mean, with his power and the way that he can throw um, his punches and kicks, why wouldn't you too? So uh, you might argue that Glover has a few more different ways to win, but what Jamal's going to bring is going to be incredibly dangerous. So, um, yeah, looking forward to this one. And uh, as you say, that crowd is going to be on another level today. I mean, they're loud in, in Brazil, as we all know, if you've ever seen one of those fight cards. Um, so this is going to be a crazy atmosphere that Jamal Hill's walking into. It will be. It will be. Uh, what about uh, Brandon Moreno? Uh, he he is a great fighter, but he is again walking into the lion's den, uh, fighting another Brazilian and Deverson Figueiredo. How do you think this one plays out? Yeah, incredible story to this one, isn't it? For the first time that we've ever seen in um, two fighters in the UFC fight four times, and to think that. For Davison Figueiredo, it's the same opponent four consecutive times as well. So, um, I mean, these guys arguably you could see them go again, which would just be absolutely crazy to think because they're just so close. Of course, their first fight was a draw. Moreno then won the second match. Um, Davison took the previous one. Uh, look, I, I think. Davison's power is incredibly impressive. I know um, Brandon Moreno has never been stopped by strikes, but Davison's power for a guy of his size is a huge, huge worry. Um, these two guys are just going to go at it. This is going to be all action. I mean, this has fight of the night written all over it with these two because their previous fights have just been so crazy. It's a blink and miss it type thing with these guys. Um, Look, I, I have a foot in each camp on this one. Um, love Moreno's backstory, his history. Of course, he was on The Ultimate Fighter many years ago, which uh, Kaikara France was on, the Kiwi fighter. Mm. And uh, he was the last guy picked of the 16 fighters that they had. So, I mean, he's a great little underdog story. Um, and then, of course, was a champion for a period. Um, I just think that Davison may have a little bit much here, um, would probably be my lean. But again, this is an incredibly close fight. I mean, when guys have fought to draws prior and um, had it as close as they had, I and mean, their previous one obviously was three rounds to two as well. So, you know, this is going to be a close fight, and I just think that um, yeah, Davison may have a touch more. Yeah, it's interesting you said that about Kaikara France, because I remember, uh, not at, at Tough, but at, uh, I think it was a fight night in Melbourne where uh, Kaikara France and Moreno fought, and it, for all money, it looked like Kaikara France was going to win that fight. He had Moreno, it looked like in all sorts of trouble with strikes, but Moreno toughed it out and ended up submitting Kai. Oh, look, he, he is as tough as they come, uh, Brandon Moreno. He is just an absolute savage. So he's going to go in there and put on a great performance. I mean, as I say, um, 28 mixed martial arts fights, never been finished by strikes, never been submitted either. So he's only been defeated six times in his career. All of those losses have come by decision. Um, he is incredibly tough. So, yeah, looking, looking forward to seeing this one and, uh, and what shakes out.
Now, there's a few other fights that we could go through here, but I mean, what of the of the other main card fights stands out to you as the one to watch? Oh, look, I think, um, I mean, from a nostalgia perspective, uh, Shogun, Mauricio Shogun Hood is going to be going around for the last time. I'm pretty sure he said it is his retirement fight, isn't it? So uh, he's up against uh, Ihor Poshera. I really hope I've said that or pronounced that correctly. Um, so a bit in the Glover Tashira mold. Uh, Shogun Hood is 41. can remember watching him many years ago um, on a fight card in Brisbane when he defeated James Tahuna and you could hear a pin drop in that arena after that knockout. I and mean, he's just been in some absolutely crazy fights. Um, if you haven't ever seen it, watch his first one back against Dan Henderson. That is an all-timer. Um, so it'll be interesting to watch him go round. And then, of course, Gilbert Burns and Neil Magny, which is on the pay-per-view card, welterweight fight. That's some really high-end welterweights that we're going to watch go round. Um, two exciting fighters, and, uh, yeah, incredibly excited about that one. Yeah, no, there's a, a whole bunch of uh, great fights on the card. And before we let you go, Daniel, a um, couple of things. Uh, John Bones Jones, are you happy to see him back uh, in the UFC? Well, for the uh, sport of mixed martial arts, it's good to see. Um, there's no denying that John's personal life and the things that he struggled with away from the cage um, wouldn't say Tara's legacy, but certainly make things a little bit opaque when you look at him and what he's been through. But if he's in a place now where he's able to hold himself well outside of the cage and be a more upstanding citizen, then I think that's good for everyone because he's just obviously one of the greatest fighters to have gone in there and do it. So um, it's going to be interesting to see how he goes at heavyweight. He's spent years building his body up and he's got himself in tremendous shape of his Instagram and uh, social media photos are anything to go by. So it's going to be fascinating to see how he goes up in that bigger weight class. Yeah, uh, uh, not only going up the weight class, but also being inactive for so long too. How, how do you think that's going to impact him? Well, look, Dominic Cruz is famous for saying that he just doesn't believe in ring rust. Um, and then there are other guys who come from the other end of the spectrum where um, they think it's a huge factor. So who knows? Look, I mean, when you're at that, absolute peak of your performance um, you'd have to think that a guy like him probably will just be able to come in and find a way maybe just to um, have done some harder sparring in the lead up or uh, put himself I guess through a bit more of a rigorous, rigorous training program uh, nothing will be able to replicate the feeling of being um, under those bright lights with the crowd going but uh, from a physical perspective he'll certainly be able to put himself through the ringer in the lead up so yeah that will um, that will certainly be a bit of a challenge for him though. Yeah yeah it will be uh, I mean of course the reason that this is um, a vacant heavyweight title is because Francis Ngannou didn't agree to a deal with the UFC, basically uh, came out, didn't paint the UFC in great light, did it with what Francis Ngannou said he asked for. He said, I didn't want all of these things. I would have taken two and I got none. And then the things that he asked for, some of them seem pretty reasonable. Oh, look, I think it's an incredibly disappointing um, way that that all shook out and a huge indictment on how poorly the UFC treats some of its fighters. I mean, if you can't market and make the money required to then pay Francis Ngannou what he's worth, there's something seriously wrong with what you're doing as a business. I mean, the guy is an absolute killer. He's just the, the dream, the sort of physique, his backstory, all the crazy things about him. And if you can't market him, 
to then make him an absolute global superstar to then generate the revenue that would have then uh, kept him happy and been able to fund some, some of those other things that he wanted in his contract. I think there's just really something wrong there. So um, amazing that he stuck to his guns and then just said, fine, I'll vacate the title. Uh, that's that's quite impressive as well. So, um, look, just a really disappointing outcome because, as sadly is the case so often in uh, fight sports, it's the fans that suffer the most uh, because they're the people that are going to be expected to pay the money and pay for pay-per-views and keep these things rolling. And now they're not going to be able to watch. The consensus best mixed martial arts heavyweight fighter in the world. I mean, let's be clear on that. He is the best in the world, and we're not going to be able to watch him fight um, in, in the interim anywhere in the short term. Um, and he's not going to fight in the UFC. And look, I'll be um, happy to be proven wrong on this one, but the concept of him boxing at an incredibly high level just doesn't greatly fill me with confidence. We haven't seen a lot of those UFC fighters transfer to boxing with any notable success. So um, to think that he could then just go and box at an incredibly high level would be quite a surprise to me if he could pull that off. Well, I was going to say to you, what what money would you give me on a Tyson Fury-Francis Ngannou fight sometime in 2023? Because that seems like the sort of money spinner that they uh, that Tyson might come up with. Oh look, I wouldn't. Um, I wouldn't say it's an impossible thing that we could uh, see happen. And I think there might have even been a quote this morning where he said that if um, Usyk won't sign the contract, there's a possibility that he boxes Francis and Garnu. So I mean, look, an incredible marketing um, opportunity there. But gee, you'd have Tyson Fury as a very heavy, heavy favourite in a straight boxing match between those two. Yeah, hundred percent, mate. Hundred percent. All right, good stuff, Daniel. Thanks for coming on, mate. I won't keep you from the fights any longer. Really appreciate your time, mate. Enjoy the rest of the card. No worries, Ricardo. Nice to have a chat and all the best. Yeah, you too, mate. Uh, Always good to catch up with Daniel Richardson and talk fight sports.